For this week's remediation, we're going back to the chapter on carbon. As this creepy dude who is in an episode of this modern Marvel I watched said, it's an enchanted element. Um, it's not enchanted, it's just fucking cool. So here we go. Carbon. Let's do it. Welcome, welcome to Biology for Bastards, teaching biology in the most profane way you've ever seen or heard. I am your host, John Doty, and today we are going to be talking about carbon. We're going through the AP Biology curriculum. So far, we've done Nature of Science, some basic chemistry stuff, and last chapter was all about water. Now we're going to talk about why carbon should be your favorite element. Um, before we get into it, if you haven't subscribed, please do that. Go ahead and give us a rating too. You can follow us on Twitter at bio for bastards. Um, this is going to be our last short one. After this, everything's going to get a lot more detailed, a lot more in depth. Um, each episode's probably going to get significantly longer. I haven't decided if we're going to do two episodes per topic or just one longer one and let you take breaks as needed kind of leaning towards that direction but I'll let you know or you'll find out either way it's gonna happen so like I said this is the last short one this one will probably clock in right around 20 minutes just like the others um, and then after that expect about twice as long so carbon let's get into it and again the PowerPoint will be in the a link to the PowerPoint will be in the show notes so you can follow along the end of this one, I highly, highly recommend you looking at the PowerPoint or just Googling those words because we're getting to stuff where pictures help, and I unfortunately cannot talk pictures. I can describe them, and I will the best that I can, but pictures are going to be worth a whole lot here very, very shortly. So diving in to carbon, this is actually organic chemistry that we're talking about. And if you do anything later in college and really study stuff, organic chemistry is going to be the make or break moment for a lot of people. It's very complicated, very complex. We're going to keep it pretty simple because biology, not chemistry. But this is the class where people like fucking want to kill themselves, not to make light of the situation. But this is the one that has ruined medical pre-careers, people who are pre-med. When I took it in college, I went from having about 60 or 70 in Organic 1 to about 30 in Organic 2. We lost about half of the people over the course of one semester. And I worked my ass off, and I got a B in it. So that was a little disappointing. But it's tricky. It's tough. Um, but all organic chemistry is is stuff that specializes in carbon. That's all that makes something organic. Okay, Carbon almost always hydrogen with it but that's all that anything organic is so we are carbon-based life we are organic beings everything on the planet is organic so all this organic grocery shit is just it's that'll be a rant for another day um, so kind of reviewing the elements that are super important for life we have our sponge 
sulfur, phosphorus, oxygen, nitrogen, carbon, and hydrogen there at the very end. And what makes carbon very, very special is that it can form these really big, complicated, diverse molecules. And this brings us to how that could happen, and perhaps my favorite experiment out there in the universe. It's called the Miller-Urey experiment um, from 1953 or 54. I can't remember. It may have been that the experiment happened in 53 and it was published in 54. Um, but at the University of Chicago, these two people, um, Miller and Yuri, what they were trying to do was recreate the conditions of early Earth. So they had one chamber and then they had water that they would boil. And that was to simulate the sea and evaporation. And in this closed system, they had pumped in a bunch of different gases that they thought made up the atmosphere of early Earth. We now know they were wrong with those gases, but they've done experiments with our current understanding of the early atmosphere and they've gotten the same results. So it's pretty awesome. Um, so they pumped in a bunch of methane, which is CH4, ammonia, which is NH3, hydrogen gas, which is H2, and then water vapor from the boiling water, that's H2O. So they had these four gases swirling around and they had this one chamber where they basically put some spark plugs in there not actually spark plugs but the same idea where it would shoot some lightning and that was a simulate storms happening and then there was a condenser which the gas was allowed to cool and condense into rain essentially and then it would go back into the ocean back into the water and the whole cycle would repeat and they let it repeat for a week for five days a work week um, and at the end of it they had created out of these very simple molecules remember the most complex molecule molecule we had was methane which was CH4 or ammonia which was NH3 they made amino acids and we'll get into that next chapter but amino acids are big and complicated and super important for life so this experiment just showed that from a very simple start you could get some very complex things all because you had carbon there. And what carbon has, going back, it has four valence electrons. And if you remember, the valence electrons are the ones that react with everything. They're on the very, very outside. And that lets it form four bonds. So that's really important because when it makes those four bonds, they spread themselves out in a way where they're evenly spaced and they basically make a tetrahedron which is like a triangle looking thing that's where a picture comes in handy um, so I would suggest looking up one of those and in addition to being able to make four bonds it can form single double or triple bonds with itself that's super important okay so you can have single bonds where the two carbons are sharing two electrons and when we name things like that we call them alkanes and we end their name with ane so there's like methane ethane propane if you're a big fan of king of the hill propane um that's the a n e at the end ane just means that they're all single bonds then we have alkenes if they're double bonds that's e n e so same beginning meth, eth, pro, whatever, but you add ene. So meth, 
well, you can't have methane, but ethene, propene, all this stuff. And then you have ine, y-n-e, for alkynes, if it's a triple bond. So like ethyme, which is weird to say, but it's that's how it's pronounced. So, um, and I realized, I think in the last episode, I forgot to define hydrophilic and hydrophobic, which is dumb of me because I'm a dumbass because those are really important things. So I'm going to do that now because all these bonds tend to be hydrophobic. Hopefully you can figure out what those things mean. Hydro is water, phobic, fearing. So they don't mix well with water. On the other hand, a hydrophilic molecule is water loving. So those would love the water. But the things we were talking about here, these hydrocarbons, they're hydrophobic. And I'm sorry, I'm a dumbass. I should have defined that last chapter. So if you were looking through the PowerPoint and you saw that and it was like, oh, that dipshit didn't define... I know. I realized that after I did it. And I wasn't going to re-record the whole thing just for hydrophobic and hydrophilic. They come up in a bunch of places. So I would just get to it now. So there you go. All right, so by being able to bond with itself and do all that fancy stuff, we can make these giant molecules called macromolecules. And that is what the next chapter is all about, those different macromolecules, carbohydrates, proteins, lipids, nucleic acids. So that's why it's going to really pick up. We're just introducing them here, saying those four different classes exist. We will get into them next episode. So at this point, with the different types of structures that carbon can make by bonding to itself, bonding to nitrogen, bonding to oxygen, all this stuff, we can get straight lines, we can get rings, or we can get weird branching structures. They're all possible with carbon. And that's going to be very interesting because what we can end up with are these things called isomers. So an isomer has the same formula, same molecular formula. So they have the same number of every type of atom, but they're going to be arranged in different ways. And this is really important because as we mentioned, um, I think in chapter two, the structure is very, very important for function. And if you change the structure, the function is going to be different. So this is where things get fucking confusing. Okay, so take a deep breath. Here we go. We have three different types of isomers. Structural isomers, things are just arranged differently. That's it. That's fairly straightforward. Um, so it could have a CCO in that order, or it could have a COC. Those would be structural isomers. Or the placement of the, the double bonds. If it was C double bonded and then a single bond, single bond, or if it was a single bond, double bond, single bond, those would be structural. With me there. All right. This one, a picture is really important. So look at the PowerPoint or Google cis-trans isomers. They used to be called geometric isomers, so you might still see that word thrown around. So right there, we're getting confusing because we've got two different names for the same fucking thing. Cis-trans isomer or geometric isomer. It has to do with the spatial arrangement around a double bond. 
Hey, single bonds can rotate. Double bonds are rigid. You have two things sticking the thing, the atoms together, so they can't spin. Therefore, if you have different things, uh, we call them functional groups. If you have different functional groups on the same side of the double bond, that is called a, a cis isomer. And if they're on opposite sides, kind of catty corner, those are trans isomers. So cis, they're on the same side of the double bond, bond to the different carbons. And then trans, they are on opposite sides, bonded to the different carbons. So definitely look up a picture on that because those words would be super confusing without it. And the last one, the enantiomers, I've heard pronounced a couple different ways, um, but they are mirror images of each other. They could be right-handed, they could be left-handed. Um, typically, you have it because you have a carbon in the middle and you've got four different things bonded to it. So you don't have any repeating things because otherwise you could rotate it around and it would look the same. And enantiomers are really hard to identify because on the surface they look exactly the same. Just like your hands look exactly the same, but they're not. There's no way you can get your hands to do the exact same position without it just being a mirror image. So that's what enantiomers are. And typically, only one of them is biologically active because of the whole structure equals function. Okay, just like gloves. If you have a glove, you can only wear the right hand glove on the right hand, the left hand glove on the left hand. You can't flip flop them and they still work. That is bad. Now, this whole enantiomers, only one is biologically active, tends to be good especially when we talk, start talking about medicine because we can make something that is the functioning one and the bad one just won't exist in the medicine. The problem is if the good can turn into the bad. So it happened with this medicine um, for morning sickness a while ago um, and the problem was the good version turned into the bad version inside the mom's body and it caused birth defects. So they were taking this medicine to deal with morning sickness because they were pregnant and that same medicine was causing birth defects. Um, now there's things like um, ibuprofen, albuterol for asthma that, you know, there's a working one and a non-working one, all this stuff. Um, it just has to do with that structure and function, being able to get into the spot in the right glove fitting on the right hand or the left one on the left hand and not being able to flip-flop them. All right, this next bit, functional groups. It's just straight memorizing. It's the end of it, just names is where pictures are super helpful. Um, I mentioned them earlier when we talked about the cis and trans isomers. So a functional group is going to determine how something reacts. We're going to talk about seven. There's a bunch of them, but we are going to focus on seven of them. We're going to talk about hydroxyl, carbonyl, carboxyl, amino, sulfhydryl, phosphate, and methyl groups. Okay, so 
most of them are all hydrophilic with the exception of the methyl group. Okay, so first up, the hydroxyl group. That is an OH found somewhere on the structure and it makes things into alcohols. Okay, hydroxyl groups are polar because of that oxygen. Okay, and because it's polar, it can form hydrogen bonds. So again, that's hydroxyl is an OH, makes things alcohols. So ethanol, the good stuff. So you drink a little That is two carbons, this OH group, and a five different hydrogens just kind of filling out the picture. That's all it is. It's great. All right. Oh, fucking carbon. I always so functional groups should be super easy unless you don't care enough which was always my case um, carbonyl very simply is a carbon double bonded to an oxygen what pisses me off is that there's also names depending on if the carbonyl happens within the structure of whatever molecule you're talking about or on the very end so they call it a a ketone if the double bond, if the carbonyl, the C double bond to an oxygen, is in the middle of a carbon skeleton, so there's a carbon on either side of it, and they call it an aldehyde if that carbonyl is on the very end. So I've heard things after I took the class, after I took organic, that ketones are in the home and aldehydes are on the side. A little rhyme to help you remember. Um, now, because we have these aldehydes and ketones, it's the same thing, but in different places, these can be structural isomers. Okay, which again, structural isomers where you had the same formula, just a different arrangement. Um, very similar to a carbonyl, especially to an aldehyde, is a carboxyl. That's why they kind of have similar names. A carboxyl group is found on the side of something, and it is a C double bonded to an oxygen, and also that carbon is bonded to a hydroxyl group. So you get the carbonyl and the hydroxyl kind of smushed together to get the carboxyl. These are acids. Um, vinegar is acetic acid. It's that structure of the C double bonded to an O, also to an OH, with essentially a methyl group, which is a carbon and three hydrogens. Okay, It's also super, super, super important um, with amino acids. This is the acid part of amino acids. The amino group on the amino acid is an amino. It's a nitrogen and two hydrogens. Makes amines. Okay, so they are very, very important with our amino acids. And we'll talk about it next chapter how the hydrogen of an amino can combine with the hydroxyl of the carboxyl group to give you water and hook everything together. That's a taste of things to come. All right, we got three more. Sulfhydryl. These are weird. Okay, these are make up your thiols, they're called, but it's a sulfur 
bonded with a hydrogen. Found a lot in amino acids and some amino acids. They're important in those amino acids, but I also thought this was the easiest one to remember because it's the only one with sulfur. Sulfhydryl. Sulfur, hydrogen, sulfhydryl. Boom, there you go. Now, a phosphate group, super important. Okay, phosphate groups, remember this. It's a phosphorus in the middle with four oxygens around it. That's a phosphate group. Okay, they are linking together every base in your DNA, every base in RNA, and if we really get down to it, this is how you stay alive. Yeah, they're that fucking important. Phosphate groups, you need to remember what they are. They keep you alive. If you had no phosphate groups, you wouldn't have DNA, you wouldn't have RNA, and you wouldn't be able to power anything in your body. Simple as that. And then lastly, our methyl group. These are little tags, just a CH3, carbon with three hydrogens around it. Um, they can help turn things on and off. They can mark stuff. They are... They can affect sex hormones, gene expression. They are little switches on and off your methyl groups. So I said at the beginning that this one was going to be about the same as all the others. It was. I also said the pictures would be super important. They are. Um, it's up to you if you don't look at them. Uh, you're, you're going to be screwed without them, um, especially when it came down to the end for the hydroxyl, carbonyl, carboxyl, amino sulfhydryl phosphate and methyl groups said those really fast but you can go back and re-listen to it if you need to um but with that we come to the end of chapter four all about carbon want to thank you for tuning in and listening um we should now be on every podcast google stitcher spotify apple so rate, review, subscribe, tell your friends, get the word out there. If you have any recommendations, um, suggestions, or comments, follow us on Twitter at BioForBastards. Um, I'm your host, John Doty. And until... Oh, I almost forgot. I forgot last time. I almost forgot again. I remembered. Our intro and outro music is Feeling Good by Purple Planet Music. All right, until next time, thanks for listening. So you may have just heard an ad, but I can't end with an ad. So just wanted to say, follow us on Twitter at Bio4Bastards. Um, our intro and outro music is Feeling Good by Purple Planet Music. Don't forget to rate, subscribe, tell everybody you know about it. And again, thanks for listening.